Welcome. This is Neil Grant, author of the book, Words of Wisdom from a Christian Mentor, Practical, Real Life, and Holistic Advice for the Graduate Transitioning into Adulthood. The paperback is for sale on my website, newgradadvice.com. Also, both the ebook and the paperback book are for sale on Amazon. My last podcast discussed the biblical view of the end times and tried to explain in detail each of the various stages which the Bible describes all of which constitute the end times. This podcast is entitled A Successful Christian Marriage and provides a lot of advice to enhance your marriage based on the things that we have learned through our many happy and blessed years of marriage. So hang on, this words of wisdom can be a wild ride. If you want to get a lot of opinions and advice of how to be in a successful marriage, just Google this topic and you will find all sorts of advice. These will vary all over the map. You'll find 5, 7, 10, 12, 21, and many more tips for a successful marriage. A lot of it is common sense by knowing how you want to be treated and therefore how you should treat your spouse. And also what the Bible says about marriage, the cornerstone of today's society. This podcast will provide my wife's and my personal thoughts on our 52 years of marriage and what worked well for us and conversely, what were our major issues. We are not counselors or experts, just a happily married couple who have absolutely loved being in love for a long time. We truly have been blessed. Let's start talking about pre-marriage and what goes on there. As this will be a longer podcast than normal, I need to minimize verbiage where possible, and that will be the case here. There are a lot of issues that need to be considered before taking that major step of marriage, And the best way to sort these out and come to an agreement is to seek marriage counseling with your parish, pastor, or Christian counselor before the big day. You need to discuss your faith, view of marriage, family issues, expectations of marriage, views on money, child rearing, and communication in general. These can be tough issues, and the more that can be done and agreed ahead of time, the better better the marriage will be. The Vow I, Neil, take thee, Ruth, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love, honor, and cherish till death do us part, according to God's holy ordinance. And thereto I pledge thee my faith to you. Boy, these are nice words. Are they just words, or are they from the heart, with God at the center of this cleaving of two people? You're making a covenant with each other person before God, a sacred promise that will last for years. So let's focus on a few words. Love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 and 5. This is a mouthful. But it is God's intention for us to love our spouse and has so many facets. Love is putting the other person ahead of you and his or her needs ahead of yours. You are co-equals in this covenant, but it is up to you to decide to put the other person's needs ahead of yours. Men, you are to love your wife as God loves his church. The entire Bible is rife with verses about love as God is love. Wives, you are to love and obey your husband. Ephesians is a tough to read 
and perhaps tough to agree to as husband is the head of the household. Nowadays, most vows do not have the word obey in it due to our society today. But God first commands the husband how to love, and that will minimize the issue of obedience, as you will both recognize that you are co-equals here. And the husband has no right to lord his position over his wife, because God did not do that with his marriage with the church. I remember talking to my sister-in-law's boyfriend one day and asked how his relationship was going. He immediately said, fine, but he told me that he was going to have to change her before the wedding. Needless to say, that relationship went nowhere. Each person in the marriage needs to change themselves, and only themselves. Expecting to change the other after the marriage is simply nonsense and a short path to a short marriage. Honor. As the noun honor in the Bible means, esteem, value, or great respect, the verb to honor someone is to value him or her highly or bestow value upon that person. The Bible exhorts us to express honor and esteem towards certain people, our parents, the age, those in authority, and especially our spouse. The word love is also sometimes synonymous for honor. Paul commands us to be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves, Romans 12:10. Honoring others, however, goes against our natural instinct, which is to honor and value ourselves. It is only by being filled with humility by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can esteem and honor our fellow man and our spouse more than ourselves. Cherish. To cherish someone is to hold him or her in honor and to place high value upon him or her. 1 Peter 3.7 in the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, she, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Remember, you are both made in the image of God, and therefore one person in the relationship is no more important than the other, and each must treat the other in that manner. Treat her as God commands you to, so your prayers will not be hindered. You must cherish her, otherwise God will not hear your prayers. There is no one who I would rather share my life with than the one I cherish. The marriage. The honeymoon was great and all was blissful, but that may not last long. You're now back living with your routine life, but now with another person. And it's great that you love that person. However, that person has his or her own habits, likes, dislikes, personal routine, need for space, and intimacy. It's terrific that you have had pre-marriage counseling and have worked out and agreed some major issues, all to honor God. Things are now different. You have someone else there to live with, and your evenings of strictly watching sports on TV or going out with the guys for a beer or just going into your man cave to be alone, that's now over. It's time for you to share life with your spouse. Whoops! I didn't have a man cave in our, hiding, in our tiny apartment, but I still did have sports to play with my buddies and beer to drink with them afterwards. Although with those, I had a very disgruntled wife wondering why I'm out so often with them. That was soon followed by our first heart-to-heart -heart talk about our marriage, and I realized that my approach was not good or right and decided it was important to devote more time to the marriage. A few years later, a son was born, and what a blessed event that was. 
It was something that we had longed for, and it was now a reality. She stopped working to raise our son, and life became so different. As the years passed, we came head-to-head with the biggest disagreement in our 52-year marriage, disciplining our son. Let him cry or coddle him. Spank him or try to reason with him about things he shouldn't do. Insist he stop doing something bad and inappropriate or simply keep reminding him to stop. Wow, did the verbal battles ensue. I, as the disciplinarian and my wife as the more lenient one, had to seek a middle ground and it was not at all easy. Honestly, the path we took was implementing the person's stance who was with him at the time. Not good, but it eventually worked its way out as time passed. The second major area of concern was money and how we would handle it. We had already merged our funds, which were very little and all of them were hers, but the dilemma was to buy things we need, not things we want. Fortunately, we both had an intense desire to stay debt-free as much as possible. So the argument many couples have over money did not really exist with us. On our fourth move as a young couple, we did get in over our heads due to real estate prices in the New York area and took a small loan out with my father-in-law, but we paid that back within a year and have generally stayed debt-free ever since, excluding our house mortgage. That philosophy was a real benefit in our ability to manage our money. We have had to get counseling a couple times over the years, due to my wife's assisting, of course, and I, as a typical male, was fine with the way things were. And that counseling helped sort out a few pressing issues. I would greatly recommend that you seek Christian counseling whenever things get heated in your marriage. As time passed, we each developed a pattern as to who would take care of each job around the house so that the chores and duties were shared. I was going to say equally, but with me working a long day, she would catch the lion's shares of the job. That said, we shared the work and each person was generally satisfied with the split of responsibilities, but when needed, both of us would help the other. This was especially true when she was sick for a year with cancer, and one week a month during her chemo treatments, I learned to do a lot more to help. So how did things start to turn around from our somewhat difficult start? We both accepted Christ as our Savior and looked to have a truly Christ-centered marriage, the way God had intended. That manifested itself in how we treated each other and looking out more for the other person than ourselves. Becoming associated with the Bible church, which taught straight from the Bible, helped us realize better how we should live out our marriage and act in it. One book we studied was called The Five Languages of Love by Gary Chapman. His basic premise is that each person in the marriage will probably have different things that are most important to them, and giving them what you want or cherish is not always what's best for the other person. The five love languages are as follows. One, words of affirmation. Some as verbal compliments, words of appreciation, constant encouragement. Two, quality time, spending real time with your spouse, communicating and sharing. Three, receiving gifts, presents, surprises, money, and things like that what the other person really likes. Four, acts of service. These can range from doing little things around the house to taking responsibility for larger projects or tasks that require thought, planning, time, effort, and energy. 
and physical touch, number five, kisses, hugs, holdings, hands, as well as times of intimacy. I thought physical touch was important, as important to my wife as it was to me. But reading the book, it became obvious that she valued quality time most. This was a great lesson, and each couple should study this book. So I had a few special rules in the house after we became Christians. Our God reigns in our life first and foremost. Two, our communication was very important, and it became our rule that we don't go to bed at night while still being mad at each other from a disagreement. Actually, it was my wife's rule, and I simply followed suit. Things got sorted out that night, and we hardly ever got up the next day still mad at each other. Things always tend to get worse the more you think about it. So get it sorted out now so the pain doesn't fester and grow. As it says in Ephesians 4, verse 26, Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. Last, a third one, whenever any money issue arose, it would get discussed and agreed. Neither person would go out and spend the money on big purchases or contributions if the other one did not agree. Here are some good rules to think about and uh, to help you facilitate a good marriage. One, make time for the two of you as a couple. With work and family responsibilities, it can be easy to lose the romance factor. Plan regular special date nights, either to go out or just stay at home. If you have children, send them on a play date while you relax, talk, and enjoy each other's company. Two, plan for some personal time. Alone time is just as important as couple time. Everyone needs time to recharge, think, and enjoy personal interests. Three, take walks together. How often when you're sitting at home, each person goes their own way or sits in front of the TV not communicating? Go for a walk together and you will naturally be talking to each other and reinforcing the power of the marriage. Four, understand that it's okay to disagree. You won't agree on everything, but it's important to be fair and respectful during disagreements. Listen to your spouse's point of view. Try not to get angry and don't let yourself become too frustrated. Walk away and calm down if you need to. Then discuss the problem again when you're both in a better frame of mind. Compromise on problems so that you both give a little. Also, the argument should never get personal. Always focus on the issue and not the other person. Here are some other principles of success that I found on the internet. One, happiness is not the most important thing. Contentment for being in a godly marriage is. Two, there is value in just showing up. When things get tough and couples don't know what to do, they need to hang in there and be there for their spouse. Time has a way of helping couples work things out by providing opportunities to reduce stress and overcome challenges. Three, if you do what you always do, you will get the same result. Wise couples have learned that you have to approach problems differently to get different results. Often, minor changes in approach, attitude, and action make the biggest difference in your marriage. Four, your attitude does matter. Changing behavior is important, but so is changing attitudes. Bad attitudes often drive bad feelings and actions. Five, the grass is greenest where you water it. Spouses in a successful marriage have learned to resist the grass is greener over there myth and someone else will make me happy.
They have learned to put their energy into making themselves and their marriage better. Water the your own side of the fence. Six, you can change your marriage by changing yourself. Veteran couples have learned that trying to change the spouse is like trying to push a rope. Almost impossible. The other person you know, we can change, the only person we can change in our marriage is ourselves. Seven, love is a verb, not a feeling. Everyday life wears away the feel-good side of marriage. Feelings like happiness will fluctuate, but real love is based on a couple vow of commitment, for better or for worse, when it feels good and when it doesn't. Eight, marriage is often about fighting the battle between your ears. Spouses in a successful marriage have learned to resist holding grudges and bringing up the past. They remember that they are married in an imperfect person. You married an imperfect person, but so didn't your spouse. Nine, a crisis doesn't mean the marriage is over. Crises are like storms, loud, scary, and dangerous. But to get through a storm, you have to keep driving. A crisis can be a new beginning. It's out of pain that great people in marriages are produced. And finally, number 10, listening to your spouse when they are telling you something they find difficult about you is definitely challenged. But it's also vitally important to make your marriage work. While your knee-jerk reaction may be to get defensive when your partner raises an issue, take a moment to reflect. Let's talking about raising godly children. My wife's father, a Methodist minister, noticed that we were not going to church regularly after our son was born. And we said that as he ages, we'll let him decide about going to church. He immediately said that if we don't take him there now and have him grow up in a godly way, we have already made the decision for him. Our son grew up in an evangelical biblical church atmosphere and the vast majority of his friends were from the church. And it was great knowing all his friends and their Christ-loving families. We had minimal worries about who we hang out with and what they were doing most of the time. Church took first priority in our house and almost all Sunday mornings were always spent worshiping our Lord while our son was learning Bible stories and Jesus teaching. Was life without issues? Of course not. But these issues were generally small compared to what many families have gone through. Teach them while they are young, the Bible says, and that is what we did. When our son became a teenager, I took him away for a weekend so we could learn the facts of life from a Christian perspective, as taught by Focus on the Family Ministry. It was a great golfing weekend for us, but while driving to and from the East Texas course, we listened to tapes and had some great conversation, and he learned about the subject from the recordings and me before the rest of the world got to him on this critical subject. My wife and I also decided that uh, time to make a contract with him that was between then and when he graduated from high school, and that if he would not smoke, drink, take drugs, or have sex, or have sex we would give him $1 a day for each day that he resisted. I had $30 a month withdrawn from my paycheck by the credit union, and every three months I would show him how much he earned. As he moved into high school, he could see the money piling up for the previous two or so years, and that gave him added impetus to stay strong in the Lord. Dad, how will you know if I've done any of these things or not? I said, I won't, but the Lord will, and that should guide your thinking. 
When he graduated, I gave him a check for $2,100, and it was the best investment we had made. God commands us to train, love, and discipline our children, and it was our job to fulfill God's commands. We worked to keep him in God's will, trained him in the Bible and Jesus' teaching, and while our methods differed, we both worked to discipline him when needed. He loved sports as I did, and I found that coaching him was a great way to stay involved with all aspects of his life while giving him some space. I coached his soccer teams fall and spring for about 10 years and his basketball team each winter for about eight years. And we had a ball, no pun intended. It was a great investment of my time and my wife's at game time and cemented our great relationship with him. Each season culminated in a parent-child game on the soccer field or in a rented basketball court, and it was truly a blessing and a great time for all. So what's the takeaway message? Love, honor, and cherish your spouse, and work to keep your home Christ-centered in all that you do and in all your decisions. God made marriage and provided bounds for keeping it as a powerful agent for good and the foundation for a thriving society. Treat your spouse like you want to be treated as co-equal partners to establish good. Plan to work through your issues without first thinking about an early exit from marriage. It is work, so don't lose sight of the fact. Marriage is great, but not the panacea of pleasure as many people think it might be. It's not a time for someone to provide for all your needs, but a time to please your spouse more than having that person waiting on you. It's a covenant you made with God and not to be taken lightly. Keep God the focal point of the marriage, and you will also have a successful marriage. I hope this has been helpful for all of you in enhancing your marriage or learning about the co-equal marriage you may enter. My next podcast addresses spiritual gifts as described in the Bible in various locations. I think it's very important to understand the gifts God has granted you and how best to use them. So stay tuned for that podcast. Well, that's all for now. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please visit my website, newgradadvicefor.com, for more information about the book and these podcasts. So bye for now, and thanks so much for listening.